Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Game and Word podcast, where gaming meets humanity. I'm your host, Jay Rooney, and I do apologize for publishing a day late. It was my birthday this weekend, so I fell a little behind schedule, but today's episode was one worth getting right. My guest this week is J.B. Hilliard, author of the best-selling Warminster saga of dark fantasy novels. You know, the ones we're giving away signed copies of this month. To enter the giveaway, all you have to do is be subscribed to Game & Ward Substack, and that's gameandward.substack.com, by 11.59pm Pacific Time on March 31st, 2023. JV is also an avid gamer of both the tabletop and video game varieties and is actually developing an augmented reality game set in the Warminster universe. Pretty cool. This is the first podcast for Game & Word Volume 5, which explores the very deep connection between video games and magic. And what would a fantasy saga be if it didn't have magic? Today... JV and I will explore the reasons behind magic's ubiquity in the fantasy genre, tips to follow and pitfalls to avoid for writers wanting to write magic into stories, and the philosophical link between magic and creativity. It was quite a magical conversation, and I hope you'll think so too. Before we dive in, I do want to thank Game & Word's paid subscribers for making this video possible, and I especially want to acknowledge our wonderful founding members. They are Letakas from Luzern, Switzerland, member since April 14, 2022. Ella F. from San Diego, California, member since April 24, 2022. Alexi F. from Chicago, Illinois, member since May 13, 2022. Elvira O., from Mexico City, Mexico, members since May 18, 2022, and John H. from Doral, Florida, members since March 3rd, 2023. All right then, let's get started with this week's episode of the Game & Word podcast featuring J.B. Hilliard. I'll be back after we wrap up, talk to you then, and enjoy the show. How's life? What have you been up to lately? It's busy. You know, I've got my third novel that's coming out here in March or April. We'll have a date here by the end of the month for the, the third in the Warminster saga. And then the fourth one comes out at the end of the summer. So it's a little bit of a hurried pace, especially if you know anything about writing epic fantasy. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. That is rapid release. If you wanted to, to talk about that in terms of 140,000 words versus a novella. So it's a little easier to do that with smaller books. But I've got those things coming out. And I'm also launching a, a Vela effort called The Element of Time. It also takes place in the realm of Warminster, which is pretty cool. But instead of this giant epic fantasy thing, this is something, it's a shorter story within greater confines of it. And if you know anything about Vela, you're looking at a thousand words on episodes. So it's, those are quick bites. It's a different style of writing for sure. Awesome. For our listeners who may not be familiar, would you mind giving a quick little elevator pitch on, on the Warminster universe? 
Yeah. Realm of Warminster is my realm. So if you're familiar with typical high fantasy realms, it's akin to Tolkien's Middle Earth or George Martin's Westeros, things that you would find there. You create your own world. And so my world built is called the Realm of Warminster. If you want to learn a little bit more about it, you can read the novels. You can also visit my website where there's a map and it'll give you a sense of where things are spatially as part of that. But the Realm of Warminster is a what I would describe as a very unique high fantasy realm that includes some familiar creatures like humans and elves and some very unique creatures like some of my cryptids, like the antlered man and or variations on the various elven races that have appeared throughout the years and throughout the genre. I try to make my elves my own, but I think that they're something that folks will learn and come to accept as part of any kind of fantasy world. So you'll see that. Plus other races that I've created as part of this and rolled it up into Realm of Warminster. And so my novels, the Warminster saga begins in a place called Thronehelm, which is a one of the capitals of the seven bearings uh, of the realm. And there's a, an immediate incident that calls to into question many of these nations and they come together to, of course, fight the big bad evil guy, right? In my books, it's the great Taurus, the mad who is a fallen keeper, and thus the title of the first book, The Last Keeper. I hope that gives you a better understanding of the realm, at least. But a lot of it is based on traditional tropes. If you've played Dungeons and & Dragons, and or you've read Wheel of Time, or Shannara series, or any of that stuff, you'll feel very comfortable within the realm of Warminster. Mm -hmm. A sizable chunk of my audience would, <laughs> would fall under that description. Fit well, right? Yes, yeah, so you're in very good company. As I, I mentioned to you off air, by the time this interview drops, I will have already launched a Game and Words newest volume five, which is on magic. So let's talk magic. I've always been curious why magic has been so central to, to fantasy in particular. Do you have any thoughts on why that might be the case? Sure. And first of all, let me say congratulations on the launch of your fifth series here. That's Thank an accomplishment of itself, and I'm glad... Keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep trucking. I think that part of why it is fairly simple and straightforward. First of all, there would not be a fantasy genre if it were not for Tolkien, right? And so everything goes back to The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And much of that has been born from a land where magic is part of, the, of its fabric. And then over the years, you've seen departing of that. And you'll see various subgenres of fantasy that address magic in a variety of different ways. There is the high fantasy where magic is abundant in many cases and the realms depend on it, all the way down to what I would describe as sort of sorcery, which magic is very exceedingly rare, but plays some sort of part within it. So if you're looking at like Beastmaster or Conan the Barbarian, where there are magical creatures, but they're not, you don't see it in everyday life, but there's a superstition and there's mysticism that belongs in that. And I think that's the same thing. If you were to push that into dystopian, you don't see magic in dystopian novels, but you see political statements that are made in dystopian novels. Uh, whether they're over or not so over, but you pick up on them as you read them. And the same thing holds true for sci-fi. You just accept that, hey, we could travel between the stars. And whether that's done in the way that Star Trek does it or it's the way that Star Wars does it, even though they're two, two very distinct ways of traveling, you just accept it. And I think that 
if you're reading any kind of fantasy adventure novel, there's a, there's a general acceptance that magic is part of it and allows you to do things that you wouldn't be able to do in a contemporary setting. There's a lot of resets that come with that. And there's opportunities that, you know, that you can challenge certain things and allow things to happen that you wouldn't be able to based on this whimsical asset known as magic. And there's very, very layers. And obviously, I know that we can't, we can't read his mind, mostly because he's dead. But why do you think Tolkien made magic so central to, to the world he created? Yeah, well, I think if you look at what he's done, he's basically taken a Western civilization in a medieval time and wrapped around it what you would find in medieval civilizations in Western times. Part of that is whether it's, you would describe it as witchcraft or various creatures like he uses and is influenced a lot by Scandinavian cultures, whether it's the language or some of their mythos and things like that. And if you rewind the clock a thousand years, place yourself in some sort of medieval civilization, religion is a central part of that. And when you have a fervent belief in religion, there's also a fervent belief in the supernatural. And so sometimes that comes with good and bad and neutral. So if you go back and look at that, you're looking at Druidic cultures and how that moves a culture forward. You know, what their religious beliefs and their magical beliefs are all central to what they do and how they respond on a day-to-day basis and how they punish people, how they reward people, and even down to monetary systems or how they build temples to their gods and things like that. And so I think Tolkien just decided to reverse the engine and put himself in that position. And then he decided, hey, we're going to use things that actually existed. The idea of Norwegian dwarves and elves that come from Central Europe and things like that. And some of these tried to make some of them good when they were bad in many instances in in the real myths and he tried to wrap that magic around there and i think that's where it came from is and he also writes with religious undertones i mean frodo the ring self-sacrifice duty all those kind of things that that came from his own personal experiences and maybe his own core beliefs and i think it's easy to wrap magic into those kind of uh uh if that is his core belief i could see that easily being displayed within the realm of middle earth I like that you brought up religion, too. And of course, one has to be very careful when talking about religion, right? I think especially even more so when magic is involved, because religion and magic, you know, they're two sides of the same coin that are always seem to be like intractably butting heads with each other. And it's, you know, this is this has been a theme since since the first shamans ate mushrooms and started dancing. Yeah, sorry about the, the dogs spirits, in the background, know? by the way. <laughs> oh, no, no worries. I was actually I have a droning like cat water fountain in the background and i was like crap i should have turned that off you're good no no worries so yeah so yeah so how magic is defined is pretty much a function of how religion is defined right and what's defined and what it defines as religion and what it defines as magic like magic is very much an authoring term and it always has been so our magicians are prophets, right? And they speak to the divine. Right. Their magicians are fortune tellers and they speak and they channel demons, right? Our healers are miracle workers, right? Like their healers are witches and they got a burn, right? So it is, so it's interesting to think about. It's, it is interesting to think about because when you boil everything down, that down to the bones, right? What's essentially the difference between a miracle and a spell, which is, it's, it comes down to basically historical fluke or what have you as a fantasy writer do you notice kind of allusions to that yeah you know so in the realm of warminster it contains all of what you mentioned one of the core functions of the keepers of the forbidden which is this this cult of 
of prophets, which I liken to what Game of Thrones used for maesters. These are wise sages that are sent, but they, each of them have a different way of receiving information from the ancients, which is my term for gods and goddesses. So I created a pantheon of gods and goddesses, and part of their magic is divination magic. That's this magic that's derived from their divinity and their prayers to their gods and goddesses that allow them to tap into this knowledge that, that guides the kings and queens and emperors and empresses of the realm. And then there's the other side of it, which is a studied magic. You'll find that many authors use this. You'll find wizards that are at study and at practice to gain this knowledge and spellcraft. And some of that also is derived from true life. It's people that learn their magic over a period of time and they're able to cast spells or create potions from this training that they receive. But it's also part linked to their religious beliefs as far as part of that too. And then there are there's innate magic, magic that is born into somebody. So like you see in the case of Willow, a person's born with this magic within them. Not everybody has it. Some do. And those that do, Laura Dannon, for example, was born for a purpose and she was there to save the realm. And she had to learn the powers, kind of like a, what I would describe as like a sorcery sort of magic where it's, it comes from within uh, and you don't know how to control it. And there's no limitation. You don't have to necessarily spend years learning it and there might not be magical words and incantations and circles you draw on the ground like you do with the others but it's more i'm just a magical creature and sometimes you find that too whether it's a unicorn or a dragon or other creatures that are innately magical find they have the ability to use that magic in, in a variety of different ways and you can apply that even to sci-fi in some cases like darth vader and the force and so you literally can, you can think through ways that magic can be used and it just depends on the kind of systems that you want to employ as a writer. And in my case, I try to give the realm enough for all of that to fit. And so you'll find simple magic that are in a village somewhere and it gives them some kind of advantage because of oh, some trick that they knew or something that has like a fortune teller, like you mentioned before, or a soothsayer or something like that, as well as this studied magic or this prayed for magic that comes from the divine. So I think that's important. And I think it would be, if magic existed, it would probably exist in all those forms. But like you said, linking them all together on two sides of the, or one side of the same coin, but fighting for territory on it. Yes, exactly. And uh, speaking of systems, of course, if you're building a world with magic, you need to make rules for it, right? So what are some tips or like, tricks for crafting effective magic systems that you've uh, learned and discovered throughout your writing career? And what are some common pitfalls? Yeah. So first of all, you hit the nail on the head. You have to create a system around the magic that you have within your novel, the game, whatever you're doing as part of that. And I think that what I've done is try to employ a variety of different methods to allow for that. In part, what I've done and what I would tell any other author to do is make your magic system unique. Now, it can follow typical trends, so it's easier for folks to understand. If you're a reader of the realm of Warminster, or you are a player of a game, or you've read fantasy your entire life, it's not going to be foreign to you, but it's got to be unique to the realm in which you're writing or the realm in which you're playing. And what I've done is I've gone back and researched primitive forms of magic. Also, you could take a look at other cultures. Roman, I know that we talked a little bit about Tolkien using Scandinavian, some of the Greek stuff, some of the Asia stuff, some of the North American, Native American stuff from the indigenous peoples is pretty cool things, which all invite this shape-shifting. And 
this connectivity to the environment. And so you have to decide as a writer which systems you want to employ or at least make mention to. And then how do they work? Are like you mentioned before, are they divine? Do you pray for them? Do you in some way invoke them? Like you might find somebody invoking them with a, a certain magical circle. It could be a wick and it could even be crazy stuff that you find in various cultures. And in some cases it's through sacrifice, right? Like some of these things have been done over the years through animal sacrifice, literally human sacrifices, as well as sacrificing your favorite thing or something that you do or a personal thing that you make your, yourself to you, like a sacrifice of one's flesh as part of that. So you can do whatever you want. And then what I tried to do around that was make what they, what that person was trying to do something that was tangible. I always, one of my pieces of advice I give to folks is very standard in writing, which is show and don't tell. So if I said that Adeline cast a spell, all right, I told you she cast a spell. But if I start out with words that are magical words and the feelings that she feels as the magic wells within or when it begins to taper away, you're feeling it as a reader. You're now looking through her eyes. And I think that I would suggest that not only would I do the research on how I want to build my magic systems, but then how does it make the magic using creature feel when they do it, especially if they're a point of view creature, right? In this case, one of my main characters in the novels, she's a wizard. How does it make her feel every time she casts a spell? Is she tired when she's done? Does it tax her physically? Does it tax her mentally? But does it weaken her? Does it weaken somewhere else in the realm? All those kind of things need to be fit within that. And then once you design your systems, stick to them. And I would liken to maybe what Rowling's has done with Harry Potter. She took Latin, kind of morphed it around. And every time Harry or one of his friends would use it, it was the same charm. It was the same words. You got used to them and you started to know them too you know, as you were reading them. And I think that there's that level of consistency will help the reader. So it's not always just some mumbo jumbo that you created on the air. It just, it literally is a system that you've created. I'm not saying it has to be as involved as, as like the Star Trek crazies that speak Klingon and stuff like that. It just has to be a handful of words to make you feel like you're there, like you're in there. You're part of that. When they say it, you feel the magic emoting from them and you feel it rising within them. I think that's all good stuff. The one thing that, you know, I would say is, you know, you, cause you mentioned earlier about kind of pitfalls, don't use someone else's magic system, create your own. It's research. It takes some time. We all get it. You can tell me that you cast a spell and I'll read through right through it and get it. Cause I'm a nutty fan that would just wants to see a good story. But at the end, if you want to make something yours and you want to own it, make sure that it's unique make sure you've done your research or it doesn't have to be research. It could just be hey, I sat down and I created some stuff. And here's a bunch of cool words or a magic system that fits. And you can be inspired by something. You can borrow from others in the past that have done it and done it well. And you can even borrow it from games, right? In Dungeons and Dragons, they require you to have not only verbal components to a spell, but you might have to have components, like ingredients that you have to have on you or you can't cast that spell. Or in some instances, it has to be trained within. It's something that you get better at so your spell is more powerful and as you, as they become more powerful, it's because you become better at it. Whatever you choose to do as a writer, make sure you stay consistent with it and you put something together so that the readers can become familiar with it. Very sound advice all around. So I've always wondered, what is it about magic particularly that resonates with readers and audiences so much? Because I know part of it is the fact that it's so taboo, but it's got to be something more than that because people love magic. 
it speaks to us on some level, right? Well, what do you think it's speaking to? A couple of things, right? The first is most people that like this stuff are creative people. And magic, sometimes I've heard, and I'm paraphrasing here, that science is the undiscovered magic, right? When you're calling it magic, it's really undiscovered science, right? And so even if you, let's use Star Trek again, in the 60s and 70s, before we were born, they were talking about recorders and spaceships that go into space and all this other kind of stuff that would happen and how that would change. And now all that stuff is real. But there, you, We don't have a tricorder yet, but we've got a lot of things that act like a tricorder. My cell phone stuck on my chest and I just click on it and talk to you from many, many miles away, you know, without any kind of interference. And the kind of weapons that they've designed were, they were dealing with a nuclear proliferation. And so people, that was on people's minds. And if you lower that into the same kind of thing for magic, and, and I think people might have called that magic if you were in the 1200s, as opposed to 1960, whatever it was. But ultimately, you know, I think that folks will like it because it's something that is a creative, they're drawn to. It's like, oh, what can I create that will actually come to pass? And the magic that I've got in some of my creatures or the magic that I have in some of my main characters, it might not be exactly the same something that would that attracts to them i think there's just a natural pull to this untapped magic that exists out there and we're going to pull it into one of our stories and then one day maybe we create something that looks a lot like this because people are thinking about it we want this in our society the mother of or in what is it necessity is the mother of invention mother of invention right you know we might want something like that it's easier to do that for sci-fi in some dystopian stuff that follows along because that exists like ready player one you can guess out when there could be an oasis you can guess out when there is going to be a chance for you to just live your vr life as opposed to your regular life because your vr life is better right those things you can see and so even though that's not magic and fantasy you can design a fantasy realm that plays along alongside with that do those kind of things for you i think it just attracts to the kind of person likes to read that stuff the kind of person that reads fantasy typically isn't the same person that reads cozy mysteries that kind of stuff or suspense and so it's just a different kind of of person who i think is open-minded enough and looking for that and i also think there's something to it that's hopeful right that there's something out there that's greater than us whether it's the force in star wars or the uh in some instances this magic that exists within all of us we don't know how to tap into it but if we do and we learn how to harness it one day we'll be better people and better societies, I think that's just a philosophical thing that drives us to be better as humans. And I think that's why people like to read about it because it's, it's something that's, that's hopeful. Beautifully said. I've always felt that any creative act is inherently magical and whether magic is some actual like metaphysical force or it's more symbolic Either way, I think it applies because what, because magic essentially is the imposition of the will through something other that's not, that's not quite there yet, but could be potential. So you're tapping into the potential of the universe to impose your will on reality. And that's basically all that magic is. And what are you doing when you're creating a story, but imposing your will on reality to make a whole new reality and when you're telling the story or when your readers are reading it thanks to these wonderful little things called mirror neurons <laughs> our brains will actually interpret it as if we were the ones experiencing it i think in a very real the symbolic but also very real way do think that every creative act is inherently magical have you ever heard anyone say anything like that before 
No, but I get it. I've heard people hint around it. I think you've actually put a pin on it. And I think that what artists do, you know, whether it's music or painting or sculpting or writing, that all comes from somewhere. And I also believe that there's a desire to have shared experiences. I know that hippies back in the 60s used to talk about this collective consciousness that was out there. And, you know, other people look at it as like this godlike thing or where we go after we leave these bodies where we're no longer individuals or part of this collective consciousness. I think that if you wanted to get that philosophical about it, the answer is yes. I mean, I've now created something out of nothing and it would not have existed in this entire world ever if... I didn't create the Where I'm a Warminster or someone didn't create Middle Earth or anything. I would even lump in folks in culinary arts or, or folks that are out there that are doing something that, you know, that drags a, an emotion out of you. Like this, this reminds me of this, the smell of this reminds me of a vacation or our first date or whatever it might be. All those things, people, they yearn for that kind of stuff. And I also think that there's a level of escapism that comes with the creation of art, right? So right. I no longer am what my day job is. I might go home to three screaming kids and in my case, two dogs scratching at the door every five minutes that want to get out. But like you, you've got, you're now pulled away from that into an imaginary realm that like you said, feels very real to you. And there's, I've heard various iterations of this, but when you read a book, you live someone else's life. It allows you to escape where you are and see the world through their point of view. And whether it's something that's a contemporary point of view or something that is a fantastical point of view, it allows you to be Captain Kirk for a few minutes or Han Solo for a few minutes, or in my case, Sir or Vulcany or, or Princess Adeline or whatever it might be, because you're now living life through them in a realm that where you are. And that, I think, pulls everybody together. And some people interpret it exactly. I'll tell you, it's funny you mention this because I don't know how to describe it this way, but it, it is so humbling. Like I've gotten fan art from people or I've gotten requests to write fan fiction. And I told everybody, just wait until the saga's over, then we can talk about it. But like, it's humbling when people do that. And when they send you a sketch that they made, they took time to read my stuff, sketch something in their own head. And then when I look at it, it mirrors so closely to what I'm thinking. You're like, wow, I really described that well to them. And now we even though it hasn't happened, it's happened in my head. And I'll describe it because I'm a big Dungeons and Dragons player. I've been playing since I was 10. Fellow nerds, I'm sure, respond to this. I'd say this all the time and no one believes me, but when I get together with my friends for Christmas, our wives sit around and laugh at us because we'll be talking about shared delusion that we've had that go on for years in a campaign, talking about them as if we did them. like, And we'll be calling each other or teasing each other about their characters and our significant others looking at us like, what are you guys talking about? This didn't happen. We don't understand. Like, why don't you guys play poker? You know what I mean? It's like, because there's like dozens of dragons. I don't know. And you share this experience with someone and there is something magical about that. There is something yes. that could not have happened if it wasn't for that book, that piece of art that inspired you to do that. And so I think that there's a lot of that. Plus there's a wishful thinking that we one day will be able to control that kind of stuff. And I think everybody in somewhere deep inside wants a bit of magic, something that they can do that makes them separates them from the pack or gives right. them the ability to change things for the better. Awesome. Any video games as of late? I'm a big gamer. Although I will say, and this is a little off topic, the realm of Warminster is being created into an augmented reality video game. And then down the road, they're going to launch a vr version of it but for now they're starting in the the ar version will be available in 2024 and then beyond that vr will come after that 
uh, and the concept is a variety of things. You could play it on your computer, you could play it on your phone. Eventually, you'll be able to play it on your headset, but it will also allow for folks to enter into this realm and create their avatars in the way that they want to. They, they will have equipment and magic their avatars can earn, as well as land that they can develop. And then that gives them assets in this augmented reality economy. And they'll be able to trade those things together to help others that are starting to build their characters and creating its own realm within the realm, which is pretty cool. What I'm helping, my role here is not the technology. My role is really helping on what I would describe as a storyboarding. I'm making sure that even though anybody's personal experience with a video game is going to differ from reading my books, at least there are adventures that you can go on that are close the plot line, the cities are named the same things. You can go find the characters that are in the book if you, you adventure out to find them and things like that. Your narrative will be designer. available to you. Exactly. Exactly. I throw that term a lot on this podcast. And so I was like, wait, well, what's the difference between writing and narrative design? I mean, that's the difference, basically. Yep. Uh, way cool. That's really exciting. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm excited to see it actually happen and play it. I'm looking forward to it. What would you say is your favorite magical video game of all time? So I'm, as a big D&D guy, I've played a lot of the D&D stuff and the Ravenloft stuff with Strahd von Zarovich. I think that's second to none. Although I will say that depending on how you would define magic and magic use, a lot of the Diablo stuff was a lot of fun too. Yeah, um, yeah I would definitely count that. Yeah, so then that, that would, those would be my choices. Cool. I think that's all my questions for now. If you wanted to add anything else or plug your pluggables or give some parting words of wisdom, that would be the time. Yeah. First of all, thank you very much for letting me come on the show. I really do appreciate the opportunity. And anyone who wants to find my stuff, they can find it at my website, jvhilliard.com. Uh, or I'm on a lot of social channels. So Twitter, Insta, and TikTok is at jvhilliardbook. Facebook and Discord is just JV Hilliard. You can find my stuff there as well as knock on wood, hopefully in the next year or so, you'll be able to find it where you get your video games. So fingers crossed for that. And look, I, again, thank you very much. It has been wonderful to come on here and I'm glad we were able to get this going today. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. This was great. My pleasure. Right, that's a wrap, folks. Thank you so much once again to our awesome guest, J.B. Hilliard, for such a fun and magical conversation. As always, I'll be linking J.B.'s info, including his socials and links to buy his books, in the episode notes. As another reminder, we are giving away signed copies of the first two novels in the Warminster Saga. To participate, simply subscribe to Game & Word Substack at gameandword.substack.com that's gameandword.substack.com by 11.59 p.m. Pacific Time on March 31st, 2023 to be automatically entered into the giveaway. Once again, I'd like to thank you all for listening today and especially Game Awards paid subscribers for keeping this whole newsletter, podcasting, and publishing operation running, free, and available to all. I particularly want to shout out Game Awards founding members making this episode possible. They are Natakas from Lucerne, Switzerland, member since April 14, 2022. Ella F. from San Diego, California, member since April 24, 2022. 
Alexi F. from Chicago, Illinois, member since May 13, 2022. Elvira O. from Mexico City, Mexico, member since May 18, 2022. And John H. from Doral, Florida, member since March 3rd, 2023. Finally, I want to thank every single one of you for listening today. This publication, newsletter, podcast, none of it would be possible without you. Always. You have my undying gratitude for your readership, your listenership, and your support. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave it a five-star review, whatever you listen to your podcast. It's a great and free way to support this podcast. And of course, be sure to share this episode with anyone you think would enjoy it. Once again, I'm Jay Rooney, and this has been another episode of the Game & Word Podcast. Talk to you again next time. In the meantime, keep leveling up your curiosity, knowledge, and wonder stats with Game & Word, the curious gaming publication where gaming meets humanity, and a 2022 Substack featured publication. I'll talk to you again next time. Until then, stay curious, players. Alakazam!